Welcome all of you truth seekers and risk takers to podcast live to Battlefield. Today, the story from victim to victor, or maybe to say victor to victim to victor. Victor, that's something like this one. I have a special guest today in studio. His name is Tom Cronin. So instead of me reading the bio, because it doesn't make a sense, I'd like to my guest introduce himself. Tom, let's go start from the start. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling fantastic, actually. Yeah, so you found the easy studio today right yeah doesn't matter put a secret location doesn't matter how many times but it's okay so it's <laughs> okay one so tom for the our listeners you know uh there's a, there's an interesting background about you and 26 years in finance as a broker for the world's largest broken house and then tom becomes something different so tom <laughs> why did you become the broker in the first place you know it's a very interesting story i was traveling around the world after okay. finishing high school had a year off to just travel the world and have some global experience mm-hmm. and i was actually booked in to do a university degree studying journalism and becoming mm-hmm. a journalist okay. eventually what i wanted to do was write articles for <laughs> time magazine about okay. capitalistic greed of all things yeah. and i traveled the world backpacking after high school with books like Albert Camus and Jean-Paul Sartre and oh my God, you know, listening to Susie and the Banshees and the Smiths and thinking about how you know I can make a difference in the world against these huge corporations. And when I got back from traveling around the world, I had a few months to fill in and I'd spent all my money backpacking, as you'd imagine, in Europe. And uh, most of that was in Amsterdam, but we won't go into that story. And so, we will a little bit later. <laughs> <laughs> and yes. so I got into Sydney and I had no money and I had a few months to fill in. So I applied for a bunch of jobs in the paper yes. before I went to university. Mm. And one of those jobs, and this was in 1987, or it was actually 1986 when I applied for the jobs. And one of them was on this massive trading room floor in finance, which I didn't know anything about. Yes, It was a big broking floor. And uh, I managed to land that job and I was going to do it just for three months. Mm -hmm. But before I knew it, next thing I was getting pay rises, bonuses, given a corporate Amex card, given a sports car. So I was going to the little rebel Tom. No more more problems with corporations, right? I just was swept (laughs) into the industry, you know, and and I was like hook, line and sinker. It just pulled me in, you know, the money, the fast cars and... You know, it was a very exciting job as well. It was Mm. filled with adrenaline and it was fast and it was furious. And, you know, 1987 was an interesting year because it was the year that Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street, started his career. Uh, He was 22 and I was 19, the same year I started my career. Um, It was the same year that um, we had... Bud Fox and um, Gordon Gecko from Wall yeah, Street. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. film came out, and it was the same year that Sherman McCoy from Bonfire the Vanities came out in that year as well. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So it was a big year of fast money, did you, a lot did, of greed and capital, mass, you know, capitalism and markets and things like that. Can I ask you something? Like, I just out of curiosity for our listeners, you know, we don't know what the finance market it is, and being mm-hmm. portrayed to us, in particular that movie Wolf of the Wall Street, when the um, Matthew McConaughey, he says to the the couple, like, and then and the money just whoo, whoo, whoops, it disappear, right? Is this is reality that we don't know where the money goes? Like people who invest the money and yeah, they have no questions look, asked. There's there's just so much money when you get yeah. you know into the markets yeah, and yeah. you sort of pull the veil yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. 
and you realise, you know, we were doing deals um, with major investment banks of, you know, 10 mil, 20 mil, 100 mil, 200 million dollars. And they were happening all day long, like lots and lots of these deals all day long. And there's just so much money floating around. And, you know, little Joe blows out there on the street and investing, you know, his 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 dollars into superannuation and things like that. But when you pull all of that money and then you've got all this lent money and borrowed money and manufactured money that is really just created out of thin air, it just creates this huge amount of um affluence and wealth that most of it's just paper money basically yeah that's very interesting because it's like we don't know a lot about money we know that nice glossy commercials mm-hmm. you know the brochures and pdf statements and all these things now i want to ask you a very honest question and again it's related to the let's go say this movie wolf of the wall street they have a lunch mm-hmm. they're making money explaining each other how they're gonna conquer the world but uh, there's a one ingredient given during the lunch, which is cocaine, right? Mm-hmm. How much truth is in that, Tom, from your perspective, from your life experience, mm-hmm. that cocaine becomes the like a salt every day in the food? Yeah, you know, the industry back then, remembering that this was 1987, 88, 89, 90, um, and we have a very different world now to then in that we didn't have HR departments, we didn't have people and culture in the industry and all those sorts of departments that help us be a little bit more moralistic and ethical. Mm -hmm. And so I've been out of the industry for just a few years now, but um, back then certainly cocaine and alcohol was the foundation of the industry. Now, not everyone in the industry participated in that. There was kind of like some of the industry were really into it and some of the industry weren't. So I don't want to just throw a blanket across yeah, everyone no, in the industry. I understand. Like we're, you know, there we're was all, a, all the same, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It'd be like football clubs. It'd be like the lawyer industry. There was the wild ones and I was definitely one of the wild ones. And <laughs> there was the ones that kind of just turned up and did a really good job and went home, you know. And so for me, I was very much drawn into that wild hedonistic part of the industry and in the end that was part of my downfall that was part of my undoing because of that insatiable thirst and appetite for seeking pleasure through those addictions and they just got out of control to the point where it spiraled into a deep dark abyss if you don't mind can i ask you Mm. a question for our audience to understand maybe um, there, there's a lot of us, not just you. Like you know, I mean, don't, don't worry. You know, you're not you're not alone in that quest. Except I didn't work in finance, but um, I was in a, in the military and I was in a war back my home. And you know, we have been given, well, my particular unit was being given a lot of these um, ingredients to feel happy mm-hmm. and no sleep for seven days. So like all these drugs, you know, like but it was no sanction. It was given, you know, as a part of the daily, you know, living. But there's a lot of people there who are enjoying um, the illicit substances, the drugs, the alcohol, all these type of addictions. Can you share with us what happened to you? How did you know that everything's spiraling out? And what did you done in that very moment? I mean, how this mm-hmm. reflected to you, Tom? And before you answer everything, thank you for, for being here today. Thank you for being mm-hmm. the teacher to all of us and being honest and sharing your story with all our viewers and listeners so yes please. well thank you it's great to be here thanks for the invitation um it started to show up as these these symptoms yeah and it's really important for our community mm-hmm. listening in that a symptom that is an anomaly a, a, a pain point some yeah. suffering some discomfort some disease 
it is really a guidance system. It's a guidance system within us to, as an intelligent design, to move us in a new direction. So if we're going down a path and we have these anomalies, these symptoms, these diseases, like a red light on your dashboard, the red light on your dashboard in your car is there to let you know that there's a problem and you must address the problem. Otherwise, the red light won't actually go away. The problem will actually exacerbate. And the red light's not the problem. That's what a symptom is. The symptom's not the problem. It's the underlying cause of the symptom. And so for me, my symptoms were chronic insomnia, um, extreme anxiety. Uh, that morphed into a lot of depression. Uh, you can't be happy whilst having anxiety because there's cortisol and adrenaline in your bloodstream and there's no serotonin and oxytocin. So the biochemicals of happiness and love, which is serotonin and oxytocin, can't coexist whilst we have huge amounts of cortisol and adrenaline, which is what's happening when we're in anxiety or let's call it fight flight, the sympathetic yeah, yeah, nervous yeah. system. And so I'm getting all these symptoms, which are these anomalies of my body being in the sympathetic nervous system state. And eventually that morphed and exacerbated because I ignored them and kept staying up till two, three, four, five in the morning, doing okay. lots of drugs, drinking, partying and working all day as a broker. The exacerbation of that imbalance in the body starts to get bigger and bigger and to the point where what happened for me in February 1996 while I was getting ready for work and I'd been getting these waves of anxiety and panic but I didn't know what they were and I was getting more and more depressed, more and more miserable with my life and my addictions were getting bigger and bigger and you get this sort of self-loathing that starts to develop because you know deeply at a soul level that this is not who you are and it's not where you're meant to be going but you just don't know how to get out of it. And then in February 1996, in my beautiful house in Bondi that I'd bought at a very young age, um, just 500 metres from the golden sands of Bondi Beach, I was getting ready for work. And that morning, while I was preparing in the bathroom, I recalled that I had a very big client lunch that day with a large investment bank. And I knew that I was with six of their senior traders and it was going to be one of those lunches like Wolf of Wall Street yeah, yeah, where yeah, yeah. crazy things happen. And it was yeah. what we call back in the industry, we used to call it, an, this was going to be an FTR. Now an FTR, which was uh, yes. <laughs> pretty much something that we would do every week. Yeah. An FTR was a failure to return, which means you go to lunch at 12.30 oh, okay. and you won't come back. So you know that that's a six hour lunch that could potentially be 12 hours because you go from lunchtime at 12.30 till midnight, one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. Um, and to stay awake and stay going all that time, it's not just going to be alcohol that keeps you going, as you can imagine. Now, what happened was as I was preparing for work and I started to think about that lunch, I started to think, oh, what if I get one of those episodes? What if I get one of those things where I can't breathe? What if I get one of those things where I can't leave the table and I'm stuck there? And I started to get this exacerbation of fear around the idea that I was going to get a panic attack at the lunch, which exacerbated a panic attack. But this time, it was like a tsunami. And I couldn't breathe. My vision blurred. I felt this like a knife went into my heart, a sharp pain in my heart. My legs collapsed underneath me. I fell on the tiles and I still remember the cold tiles on my skin and I had a like a feverish sweat and it was a, like a cold sweat and uh, I actually thought I was dying. I, I thought I was having a heart attack. But because I'd become so deeply depressed about who I was, so full of self-loathing and so unhappy with life, I actually didn't care if this was it. I was kind of done and I was ready to throw in the towel. And there was just no fight left. You know, I thought, if this so, is so it, I'm ready to so go. So what happened, uh, Tom, to you then? You know, I mean, you'd, obviously, did you go for lunch or did you... Uh... No, I didn't go to work. Um, what happened was my wife found me. Uh, she took me to the doctor. 
the doctor explained to me uh so i was getting ready for work at seven in the morning i got to the doctor's first appointment i queued up waiting for the doors to open and uh he sat me down in the first appointment of the day and he, he explained to me literally there and then that i was having a nervous breakdown now i was hoping he'd diagnose me as a heart attack and would be able to fix the problem but what happened when he said that and i distinctly remember those words i i burst into tears it was like the rug that I'd built my life on just got pulled out from underneath me. Yeah. And I thought, but how can you fix that? That you can't fix like that. And then I just realized the hopelessness of my situation and I couldn't stop crying. Uh, I just became this inconsolable crying madman. And then he sent me immediately to one of the top psychiatrists. So by nine in the morning, I went to the leading psychiatrist in Sydney and I remember walking into his office and he had all these plaques on his wall talking about how skilled he is in the air of the mind certificate after certificate and he leaned forward he was about 60 years old and he explained to me that my nature is to be a stressful person i have a stressful disposition he said okay and i need to take pharmaceutical drugs and uh it was one of the most debilitating days of my life one doctor telling me i'm having a nose breakdown and then a psychiatrist telling me that my nature who i am is to be stressed and I, I take more drugs taking more drugs i mean like, it, uh, that's uh, what got I, me here in the first sorry, place sorry, sorry tom i need to ask you you will obviously be aware of what's happening with your body. Mm. Hence why you're helping people today, because mm. you can see it and mm. you can feel it. But answer from medical professional was you're prone to have the nervous mm. breakdown, but let's go give you more pills. Yeah. Mm. Can I ask you, as a man, did you feel that you were lesser man or okay man because you cried, you break down? I... I had lost a sense of who I was at that point. I'd really, uh, between those two sessions, Mm. and look, maybe the idea of who I was in the first place was a problem as well. And that's what's evolved and grown is my my own self-identity, my own perception. And and our perception of ourselves Mm. is a a variable. We can constantly change and morph the idea of who we think we are. And I'd certainly learn a lot through that time. But at that point in time, I'd really become disillusioned. And I really had no idea who I, I was. I think you could. I think you should congratulate yourself. Uh, I tell you something from my experience. Again, um, I, I was hoping one day that you know this is everything okay with me. But I have a panic attack. Long story short, everybody was thinking I was joking down the floor, and I was like, my, I can't walk. You know, I'm just like heart attack. Anyway, went in the hospital. They told me it's a panic attack, and uh, my manly side told me, "You're the man. There's no such a thing panic attack, right?" And done all this exams and everything else and daughter told me it's wrong you know what i mean but i said like again i'm the man so you're the better man bigger man than me because i blamed everybody and i was the man who didn't want to cry because even psychologists told me later on it's okay to cry it's okay to feel down things happen in my life so you're the bigger man than most of the men who has no balls to admit this i'm telling you right now and it's hard to impress me, but trust me, Tom, you know, you're in a Life to Butterfield podcast and, you know, you don't have this sob story. You have the very, very courage, courageous story. And my question for you as follows it is, what did you do next? How did you evolve from being Tom, you know, uh, having cocaine for breakfast, uh, cocaine for lunch, cocaine for dinner, not literally, let's go call it this way. Um, you know, I mean, making money, but feeling deep inside of yourself, unhappy anxiety mm. nervous breakdown how did you evolve from being tom 
in financial sector to Tom being today. What, what, what did you done then? There's a very significant moment that happened just a few days after that okay, moment. Okay, please, can you share yeah. with us, yeah? Yeah, it was, a, it was one of those moments of pivotal forks in the road that can happen. And what had happened was I developed agoraphobia, so I, I couldn't leave the house. I, it, it was too confronting to even walk out the front door and get a bus ticket. And I had to take mental health leave from work. I couldn't go to my work anymore. So I took uh, some time off, many weeks off work. And in that time, it was actually 1996. And agoraphobia in 1996 is not a nice time because there's no internet, there's no Foxtel, there's no oh, Netflix. Okay, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can stay home, yes. So yes. I'm just staying at home and I was watching some free-to-wear TV and there was a documentary about a property developer, a very successful property developer called Bruno Grollo. Mm -hmm. uh, some people might know of him uh, in the podcast. And he was a very large, two high-rise buildings in Sydney, Melbourne. And there was doing a documentary about him and how successful he was at the time. And there was a little slither of that story about how he used meditation to help him be successful. Okay. And I was watching that story and when he mentioned meditation, they showed him in a chair, in a suit, sitting in a chair meditating like I'm sitting right now. Yes. And he had his eyes closed and he was meditating and it was like this epiphany light bulb moment that went on in my mind and went, that's what's missing in my life. That's what I need. And at that point, what I did was I went and picked up the Yellow Pages phone book and I looked up M for meditation and I started ringing all the different meditation centers in Sydney. And I started to learn. I did lots of research, tried different techniques. Some I didn't like, some I found difficult. But I found one technique that was an absolute game changer and it was backed by a lot of science. It was taught by neuroscientists and it was deep and it was effective. And interestingly, it was the same technique that the world's largest hedge fund manager, Ray Dalio, uses as well, called yeah. Transcendental Meditation. Okay. And I actually really even liked the name. I remember when Ray, uh, not Ray Dalio, when Bruno Grollo said the word Transcendental Meditation. Because I was so into, you know, my drugs and drinking and getting out of it and going to rave parties and taking ecstasy and stuff, the, this word Transcendental, which it's kind of like... Well, that's kind of what I've been doing for the last 10 years is trying to transcend, but this time it's in a spiritual meditative type experience. And I was really drawn to that idea of something deep and something mystical and something profound. And when I went to learn that technique, I knew that night. I remember learning it in Paddington, Sydney, and I was taught by an American neuroscientist and I went, this is what I've been looking for my entire life. Tom, first of all, viewers and listeners, Yellow Pages, I come in Australia 98 November <laughs> and uh, you know you, you got some things here in Australia with, which we didn't have in Croatia for another 10 years so like, <laughs> <laughs> when I come 98 I was, there was a dial up internet I was like what is the internet you know, it was like, you know. Um, but I think it is Yellow Pages was uh, that thick booklet and um, it's like our Google now yeah Google now yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> we had a big yellow book <laughs> and uh, meditation um Again, in my books, you know, many, many years ago, it was considered like a, a weakness, mm. right? I'll say weakness. And we don't, we don't, we make a fun of things we don't understand mm -hmm. because we are afraid to try things could help us. So you learn that type of meditation. Obviously, you, you phase yourself out from the mm. uh, being broker, right, in financial industry to become the meditation coach right or yeah it wasn't immediate it was no. an interesting thing I, i learned to meditate and what happened was when we deeply meditate our body starts to regulate okay. there's a beautiful intelligence in the body to optimize and repair it's yeah. incredible it wants to repair and it wants to actually optimize it's yeah. designed yeah, yeah. for optimal experience down to the cellular level intelligence and when you go into meditation the body starts to heal so what happened was all of those anomalies the anxiety the insomnia the agoraphobia the depression 
actually just simply melted away as my body went out of the sympathetic nervous system state, which is fight flight, and it moved into the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the repair mode. And think of parasympathetic for peace response. Now, interestingly, my body went into optimal state mode and I continued on in my career for 16 more years as a broker. So, okay, so you learn, but you start practicing meditation, right? That's right, every day, twice a day. And what makes you, 16 years later, stop doing this? So that's 2012, yeah? 2012, that's right, yeah. So why did you... Well, what I realized was as time went on, when we, when we open ourselves up with certain yeah. practices, meditation, breathwork, yoga, um, all sorts of modalities that are helping us optimize our being, not only optimize our own physiology, but optimize our mind and our spiritual capabilities. And what happens is we get more and more qualified. So if you've got a job as, uh, let's just say, you know, you're in the mail room delivering mail, yeah. but you're studying and you're studying and you're studying and all of a sudden you, you become highly intelligent through lots of, you know, things that you've learned. You're going to find yourself naturally gravitating towards doing something that you're more capable yeah. of than delivering the mail. And so not to discredit being a broker because it's a great career and certainly a very affluent career, but I felt that I have more to give to the world. And okay. I felt an inner rising. And what had happened was it started many years before that. It wasn't just all of a sudden I went and changed out of broking. What happened was I started to notice that I had an overflow to give back to humanity. And the first step that I took was to actually start planting trees all around Sydney. I started buying cheap $1 tube stock trees and I wanted to contribute something back to the environment. So I'd find... Oh my God, like this is, this is you know... I was looking for so uh, I was looking for somebody to explain to me what they're doing to save the planet Earth, and everybody's talking to me a carbon footprint, this, this, and this, and this, and this. And I clearly remember right now, you know, the the subject was called biology and something, and the the professor she told us like uh, the lungs of the planet Earth are the trees. Mm-hmm. We need more trees. And recently I spoke to one professor. His name is Professor Clive Smallman, and he's he's a smart guy. I mean, he's like among the smartest guy in artificial intelligence. He told me, I don't understand why people don't plant the trees. Why are there all this BS about you know, <laughs> cup professor, right? And now you saying one dollar uh, plane, Cheap, yeah. yeah? the plant the trees how many just uh i plant them all around sydney and i can still see them now after this was gosh going back many many years now and i see them these massive you know 50 foot trees big gum trees how now you, how you feel tom when you see i love them yeah. uh, they're like my friends you know it's i feel like I, I, i'm part of their life and so it started with planting trees and that was all that i had in my capacity to give yes. back to humanity and then i found that i had more overflow so i started working in a soup kitchen so in king's cross at the wayside chapel every saturday morning from 9 till 12 yeah. i would turn up every single saturday for 12 months serving tea and coffee for the homeless people yes. and then after 12 months i realized i still had more to give at that point my my overflow was was becoming greater and i was still a broker and so I decided to become a meditation teacher part-time. I didn't want to leave my job because yeah, yeah. I was making good money as a broker. And I became very successful as a broker without drinking and doing drugs because okay. I didn't need them anymore. I had meditation as my choice for stress management. Did, the, did the people in your workplace saw you a different person? Did, did they saw you as a threat now? Oh, okay, you don't drink with us anymore. Yeah, absolutely. It was challenging at first. Yeah. Um, I had a big challenge with this initially, just to let everyone know, because sometimes if someone's making a shift in their environment to become more healthy and yet no one else in your environment is, then you're going to make a point of difference and it's going to fracture your relationship. It definitely will challenge your relationship when you start doing something different within that relationship. And the entire industry was kind of built on drugs and drinking still to that day. And 
I asked my mentor at the time, what am I going to do about this? You know, I've, I've got a problem here because I don't know how to handle this. Um, how am I going to start seeing my clients and going out with other colleagues when everyone's drinking and taking drugs? And he, he shared something really beautiful I share with you today. He said, and you might relate to this because you've been in battle before. He said, you know, back in the days of war, when the sun would set and men didn't have night goggles, uh, the soldiers would lay down their arms in the trenches and go back to the mess room. And in the mess room, they would start drinking and they'd be covered in grime and sludge and blood and sweat. But the only tool of stress management they had was drinking and they would Correct. get drunk and Correct. drink and drink yes. and drink. And he said, and what would happen is the general would walk in after a little while and there'd be a hush across the room. Shh, the general's here, the general's here. And everyone would be really excited because this incredible man of stature would walk in with his badges of honour showing how incredibly skilled he is and how respectful he is. The general would come in and talk to the soldiers and sit down and the soldiers want to sit next to him, you know, come and general sit down next to us and um, they would talk to the general and the general would talk to the soldiers and after about an hour, you know, great work today fellas, I'll continue on tomorrow and I'll, you know, got to go back to my room and start strategizing about the next day and they'd say goodbye to the general and then they'd go and get completely wasted. And my teacher just said, look, you just have to decide. Do you want to be a general or a soldier? That's all you have to do. And, and at that point, I realized that I can step up and play at a bigger level if I wanted to. And that's when I decided that it's not a matter of running away or hiding, but actually owning it. And, and in the end, that earns you a lot of respect. You have my respect. Trust me, Tom. It takes, uh, you know, I always say to people, Uh, takes courage to be the man. It takes courage to be the coward as well. And today you're just displaying the courage to be the man. Because, you know, most of the people who are the cowardless, they'll show the type of cow- courage, you know, pointing fingers on everybody and anybody, blaming the entire world, external factors and people. And that way they will show the courage by defending themselves, right? Because mm-hmm. they're cowards. But you took the ownership today, publicly saying in front of the thousands, thousands of people who's going to watch this uh, today. And I'm inviting everybody, feel free to come in the comment section below. I'm going to leave the links on, on Tom's um, social media, how you can contact him. And feel free to reach him if you have more questions on how he can assist you. And I congratulate you. And seriously, I'm, I'm, I don't know how to say this, but you make a transition from being the broker to become the teacher. And uh, you say that you are studying in Australia, Bali, and India. Why Bali and India? Yeah, it was just where a lot of the teaching was done. Oh, okay. Partly because the, the, the tradition itself, the knowledge that I was yeah. studying, which was a Vedic tradition, uh, sort of deep from the sort of northern Himalaya region. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the teaching was done from Bali and, and India as well. Can I ask you just a hypothetical question? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to point... Let, let's go put on myself. When I'll be ready to seek assistance or change my life. Where's the moment when someone, let's just say, Mario Beckers, the assistance, let's just say, just for purpose of the conversation, when is the person ready to change the lifestyle habits, to take all these bad things away from the life, we just serve him anymore, to become the person of, mm-hmm. the, of, the, of the life? as yourself you know I mean? yeah it's such a great question isn't it it's going to be variable for every person yes. and people are either drawn um, or, or move into a new direction based upon either a carrot or a stick so the carrot is I, I 
have this impulse, this this inner calling to find enlightenment or to awaken my spirituality or to live a better life or to be healthier or to start training. So they'll have this inner guidance system that's calling them. That's that I feel there's a better experience beyond my current one and I want to move towards that. So that's the carrot. So beyond there, there's something better. The other alternative is that they have been driven by the stick and that's my situation where it got bad enough to the point where I can't bear this pain anymore. Um, the only option I have at this point is to annihilate the pain by annihilating it myself. And I definitely had contemplated that at some point. If I can just end this existence of mine, then I won't have the suffering. Um, or maybe I need to make some changes. And the pain was so great that, that that compels us, propels us, impels us forward to start making better choices and start making differences in our life. And we always want to look at any form of discomfort, any form of disease, any form of pain and suffering in our life purely as a mechanism to guide us to a better existence because evolution is the underlying current of all reality, which means that all things must continue to evolve and get better, but we just must be listening to that message and guidance system that's there for us. So after you, you know, becoming obviously expert in the field you are right now and, you know, you saw the life in every angle from, from point of being uh, in corporate world, you know, um, uh, now you are you're the teacher, you know, you see in corporate meditation and, you know, mindfulness. How do you help the people? What is that now? What is your mission? How do you, you know, uh, transforming people's lives? And mm-hmm. I just... I was waiting, you know, there's so many questions, like we have not so much time, and I apologize for that one, we're going to have a Tom again, but um, because we can't keep the Tom here for 12 hours, you know what I mean, but Tom, what do you do to help other people? How do you help? Because, mm. you know, it says that you are spoken hundreds of people in Mexico, Bali, US, Australia, Kuala Lumpur, plus you presented at top level, Compass Australia from Nova FM, CBA, Qantas, Coca-Cola and Fairfax Media. I mean, that's a big names. You know, I mean, like, you know, what do you do actually now? How do you help people? Because meditation is something. I've I've said something exotic, and nobody doesn't know what meditation is. Like most of us don't know. And on sub question on that one, it is: if I look for meditation social media, for some reason, I'm gonna be driven. Uh, let's go on Instagram, right? And there's always some girl in a in a some type of skins or whatever it is with a you know round and shaped body and she's like oh i'm just to close the eyes darling and um <laughs> just to breathe i know you're laughing i mean i tried this i was like i'm i'm still seeing her instead of <laughs> meditating and then when i open my eyes it's like oh my god all the worries comes you know i mean on top of my head sure. so tom please teach us all you know i mean what do you do how you help people what meditation it is and how we know what's right meditation for us yeah so there's two steps to the process one is to inspire people to want to do it and so that's a lot of what i do with my talks you know speaking at companies and on stages is to let people know that as a human experience that we're currently having it's not the only experience that we can have there's a more evolved more profound experience that we all have access to yes. and we have a physical we have a mental we have an emotional body so that's what we feel okay. as an emotion is what we think within our mind and we have the physical body which is how we move and yeah. and what our shape of body is but we also have this spiritual dimension and it's a lot of people ignoring that so there's that component which is to actually transcend the physical mental and and physical form physical, mental, and emotional form, and to experience something beyond the, those three layers of identity. 
And when we start to access that layer of consciousness, it's quite profound. So firstly, we've got this deeper, more subtle reality that we can all access. And it's kind of like our invincibility. It's a profound state. We call it presence or awareness or being. So that's one thing that we really must know exists and then we must know how to access it. So firstly, knowing it exists, but also the deep levels of rest we get in certain meditations is so profound that it gives this incredible opportunity to the body to optimize itself and repair. And that's what happened to me. No doctor or medicine could fix my problem, but my body could. And what I had to do was create an environment which is profoundly deep rest. And in that deep rest, my body went to organize itself in a better way. So those anomalies simply weren't there. Doctors and medicine, not to dismiss or discredit them for the work that they're doing, but for my situation, in a stress response that I was in, there was no need for that. All we needed to do was get my body into deep rest. I, I will agree with you on one thing because um, I was recently I was being introduced to something it was called um, uh, Chinese doctor mm-hmm. and um, Chinese doctor who um, do traditional Chinese. He's a really GP, like a medical, and I mean mm-hmm. an expert, but as well he's a uh, Chinese medicine, medicine doctor, right? So like he's is normal one, I will call the Western one, and the traditional one. And when I spoke to him, he asked me two things, you know, open your mouth uh, and hold my hand and check my tongue and everything else, like, okay, what are you doing? And he explained to me something very important about uh, pressure points, about meditations. He said, uh, traditional medicine, it's it's very new, like a couple hundred years old, like Western medicine, but all these type of medi- medi- uh, meditations and uh, uh, pressure points, mm-hmm. it's dating thousands and thousands of years ago. Plus, you know, the, uh, we all these plants from the from the nature and other things existed many many years ago, thousand years ago before we come today. So we we dismissing the meditation because it's not that easy accessible. It's not convenient. Do you agree? To, do you agree with me? Like yeah, it's, it's not like open the cupboard. Okay, <laughs> which box of meditation? Ah, this one. all oh, that's yeah. it. Because it takes a time. Yeah, we want a quick fix. Yes. Uh, we're a society that naturally wants quick solved, so, yes. uh, you know, solve the problems quickly. And exactly like you said, they've been around for thousands of years. They're stood the test of time. What we're seeing is a very exciting time happening now where we're seeing a transition where things like meditation and plant medicines and things like that, which were very exclusively retained in certain areas, yeah. um, are now starting to integrate and infiltrate into large organizations and into the mainstream. It's early days yet, so another 10, 20 years, we'll find that nearly everyone will be using these types of modalities on a daily basis. So, Tom, okay, when you, people come to you, you come to some organization, you know, let's just say some of these companies and you name it here, right? Large corporations and, you know, let's just say C-level and everything else. Do you see sometimes old Tom in them? <laughs> or do you say like, I know what they're going through. They really need to talk to me or I know how to help them. Is yeah, I, I guess I've got the, um, the, the honor and the, um, the qualification of having seen both ends of the spectrum and knowing how someone feels when they're stressed and knowing how someone can feel when they're not stressed. And so I come from that place of empathy and connectivity. And so at the moment I'm working with Amazon and I'm speaking at Harvard next week and working with the New South Wales government. And it's the delivery has to be obviously slightly swayed a little bit to let them understand and relate to the teaching, but ultimately just teach them tools that validate the things that I'm talking about. Once they start using these tools, and I use a particular style of meditation, transcendental meditation or Vedic meditation, where we give them a particular mantra or sound 
And when we repeat that sound, so rather than just trying to empty the mind or focus on the breath, we repeat the mantra. And what happens is that mantra has a beautiful quality about it. It's a sound that we say over and over again inside our head. And what it does is that it quietens the mind and lures the mind into a deeper and quieter, more relaxing state. I'm going to have this for the last question to you. Give us a little mantra and I'm going to something some that tastes. But I want to ask you a question. Look, for the, all our viewers and listeners of this podcast today, and I'm going to call this uh, episode Failure to Return. I think that's a, literally can uh, metaphorically be uh, defined and transcribed to everybody's life. Because as Tom said at the beginning, the red light in a car, it's just a symptom. And uh, we need to look into the problems around us. So, Tom, I want to ask a question. We have the, uh, you know, obviously Google it and you send me the links. Five books. Eh? Mm. Faster, deeper, calm. Faster, deeper, sleep. I want to ask you this one. And Miss Missy Moo me. medi- meditates. You know, everybody in my office says to me, is that a children's book? And um, Spirit and Soul. And uh, the, the last one, it's uh, the, the portal, right? So, like, I want to ask you the question. Sleep. Why is it important uh, sleep and do we sleep enough? Yeah, absolutely. Firstly, we don't sleep enough right now. Sleep is an essential part of our body's repair system. Okay. And what we're seeing, particularly in teenagers, unfortunately, is that we have this uh, a ratio, which yeah, is yeah. stress to rest. Yes, and yes, if yes. we have more stress than we have rest, then we start seeing anomalies appear. And what we're happening, what we're seeing happening in our world today is increased levels of stress, particularly with children on their phones you know up till midnight and children typically (laughs) yeah yeah, teenagers typically should be sleeping a lot longer than most people they should be sleeping you know 10 12 you know they're talking lazy kids get out of bed they actually need a lot of sleep because they're going through a lot of development but what's happening now is that particularly kids that have to go to school and are on their phones till you know uh, 11, 12, sometimes past 12 o'clock at night oh, yes. on their phones. And what's happening is that it's really disrupting their nervous system, their endocrine system, their biochemical system, yeah. and it's leading to extreme anomalies. And then unfortunately what we're doing, which is always the case in Western medicine and Western world at the moment, is simply just give them tablets. You know, you've got this, you've got that, you've got this, you've got that. So let's see if we can fix it by medicating you. Rather than like looking at their overall holistic approach to health and wellness, what are they drinking? What are they eating? What time are they going to bed? What de-excitation or stress relaxing, stress, um, you know, um, addressing their stress problems? You know, what meditation tools are they using? And when we have a holistic approach to health and wellness, we'll find that most of those anomalies go away. It's just that we're not really looking at it holistically, but we definitely need sleep and we're not getting enough of it. And you, you explain this in your books, right? You know, yeah, it's a strategy how to sleep. You know, it's, um, you know, if we have insomnia, which I had chronic insomnia, um, there's a number of different things that we can do to help us get to sleep more easily. Before we go and reach for the pills. Before we go and reach for the pills, Because yeah. pills are usually short run, you know, because after mm. some type of pills, you get more pills, more pills. And interesting enough, and why I'm inviting you, feel free to come uh, visit uh, Tom Cronin website, tomcronin.com. Uh, that's where you can purchase the books, and I'm going to put a link uh, section below as well, so you can you can order the books and as well contact Tom. But uh, recently I was watching on Netflix uh, some documentary about some type of pill, which I don't want to name it, and everybody was very happy because uh, make, the, make them... Sorry, try to find the proper words. They... Head become silent, quiet, you know, means something was that. 
I tell you this later that pill. Anyway, you can check on on Netflix. And the, the tragedy is that majority of these people took this pill, mm -hmm. and um, uh, during the COVID lockdown was being prescribed over the phone by doctors, and now it's hard to take it off that pill, but actually that pill causing a lot of different side effects. And uh, I want to ask you, Tom, in just for my curiosity, so we spent two and a half years in, 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 in lockdown, and you said kids should sleep longer, less time on a, on a screen, everything else. However, we exaggerated, you know, the time in front of TV. We exaggerated time of the watching bad news. And uh, we have the delivery brown bag every night, you know, I saw my neighbors, you know what I mean? And uh, people were going crazy. Two things was being allowed, one was a drink, to buy the booze as much as you can, and the food, which is obviously we need, but not that all food. Why nobody in government, in government, didn't approach you, Tom, and say, what, Tom, you can do for our uh, citizen to calm them down? Because anxiety was mm. through the roof, you know? I mean, I think mm. still is today. Why not, why not <laughs> your approach? Why not, you? seriously, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm so, Oh, Fusbaba, like a bad voice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, they do like, oh. <laughs> so, like, why nobody approached you and said, Tom, give us a half an hour of your time, we pay you whatever money. You know what I mean? Let's go make it people less stress, less anxiety. Instead of this, we build this anxiety and a bad food and kids don't go sleep and we get more medicine over the phone. Well, if you can answer. We're going to open up a can of worms here. Feel free. <laughs> Feel free. Because I want people to come and they get your, your book. Because like yeah. people don't understand. You say something very, very uh, truthful. Sleep is very important. People don't sleep. Mm. I'm, I'm serious. I still think that my mm. neighbors don't sleep. I mean, I'm seeing the lights at 2 o'clock in the mm. morning. Mm. And I was like, why they don't sleep? And then people telling me, you know, Mario, I still can't go sleep. And I was like, well, it's what do you mean? Mm. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. Just go sleep. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was a fascinating time over the last two years. Um, why not Tom Croning? <laughs> Mario Becker's asking, why no more Tom Croning meditation to make us more calm, more relaxed? Instead of this, we exaggerated our symptoms with mm. anxiety, mm. depression, and all these things, but we are allowed to buy more drinks. Eh? Yeah, we um, firstly, the current model of our business, political, economic system yeah. that we're all being sort of swept into yeah. and it's been happening in, in such a way that we don't realize it's happening we're yeah, kind of like yeah. hypnotic hypnotically swept into this system yeah. and the system thrives on people being unhealth unhealthy and unhappy the whole system economically exists because people are unhealthy and unhappy and the thing that would probably destroy our economic model currently would be if people were sovereignly innately healthy and happy and then what would happen is they'd be quite independent and free of the current system uh, and so if we kind of trace where a lot of the funding comes and goes on the planet and you just have to look up blackrock and vanguard just look at blackrock and vanguard <laughs> and look at who blackrock and vanguard own and then you'll see there's this entire network of yeah. organizations that um interconnected interconnected yeah. yeah and they're interconnected not just on a business level but they're actually deeply connected in a political level as well yeah. now i don't want to get into whole conspiracy theories yeah. and complexities around that because it's it's too ambiguous you know what the difference between conspiracy theory and the uh, conspiracy theory and truth it is <laughs> what is it time yeah <laughs> yeah that's right yeah <laughs> that's probably right actually so, yeah, like, but i was yeah. like th th thank you for that one because like i truly believe it was more essential to have the more tom cronin okay not just advertising you mm -hmm. but uh, you are the guest on my podcast, mm. so I can say your name. Mm. So if people don't like it, bad luck. 
But the thing is, um, why no more Tom Cronin? Because it looks like it's more efficient to be happier than yeah. being more depressed. <laughs> yeah, and doing one thing we didn't see over the last two years, which was very simple, that there are simple protocols yes. to increase our health and immune system. And all that had to happen was that those protocols were actually given out to society and said, guys, we're going through a difficult time for everyone what we should be doing is X, Y, Z, and this is what we highly recommend everyone do. And what we'll find is that the resistant immune system within the body would be so much more efficient and more effective. And then for most of the society, they would be quite immune to the challenges of that pandemic. Um, there'd obviously still be people that would be affected by it yeah. because they have compromised immune systems and things like that, old people. So we do need to address and care for those people that might be compromised. But as a whole, most of the society should have a fairly robust nervous system and immune system that could manage that kind of onslaught and get through that very easily. Um, and so all we have to do is really give certain protocols out into our mainstream society that are going to help us be more robust. You know what? I just, I just want to give you a hug. Seriously, like, I'm, <laughs> seriously I want to jump from here away there because <laughs> the, recently I had an interview with a, with a couple of people uh, which I'm going to introduce you privately and um, they, they, you know, they, they told me similar things like you told me but that meditation helped them, right? Mm. So, uh, Tom, I know I'm aware of your time, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, it's, it's okay. I, pro- I promise, I promise 40 minutes, but it's 47 minutes now. It's, it's okay. like, we're going to have a Tom again. I promise you guys, I promise you, uh, go in the uh, comment section below, contact Tom, tomcloning.com. I'm going to leave the all links so you can uh, talk to Tom on all social media platforms as well. If you have questions so or you want his books, feel free to contact him. So, Tom, the last question for tonight, okay? So, you know, before I let you go on this beautiful afternoon, does meditation can help us to be happier and less stress and how do you can help people through that teaching of meditation you're doing right now i believe meditation is critical for us to integrate in our life for optimal health and happiness i think those two things physical and emotional health is a priority it's it's got to be paramount in the way we live our life um, unless we have healthy state and healthy mind healthy body then we're always going to have a compromised state of existence we're always going to live subs- substantially and um, what we can do is integrate a type of meditation it will work for you and there's so many different ways it can work but what i would suggest is to find a technique that works best for you and do your research find a teacher that you resonate with most there's no right or wrong some teachers you'll feel a better resonance or a better connection with some techniques you'll find a better connection um, with um if you would like i can share a very simple technique that everyone could use absolutely feel yeah. free and this is something that you can simply integrate on a daily basis just before bed and it's very very gentle all we do is we simply just close our eyes and that stops the stimulation from our visual world and after closing our eyes we just allow the breath to move effortlessly in and out of our body and as the breath moves in and out of our body i want you to notice how it moves through the nostrils and as it's moving through the nostrils i want you to bring your attention to the cool skin around the rim of the nostril And what you'll find as the air moves in and out of the nostrils, it slightly slightly cools the skin. And you want to keep your attention the entire time for five up to ten minutes on that one point, the cool skin around the rim of the nostril. And just keep your eye on that single point of the cool skin as the air brushes the moisture on your skin inside the rim of the nostril. Now it's a very a tentative point 
you must keep your attention on that single point. And by keeping your mind on that one point, you know, it will want to move around, it will want to think of other things. You need to flex the muscle here. You need to take back control of the mind and continue every day. Just do that for five to 10 minutes before bed. And what you'll find is that you'll start to get very sleepy. Your nervous system will calm down. Your mind will calm down. And then you'll be able to sleep so much better. And it will just give you a greater sense of clarity and a greater sense of calmness in your body. So that's one very simple technique that you can do just on a daily basis. Well, Tom, thank you very much for being my guest today on Life the Battlefield. But very, very last question. How people can reach you the best and most, most efficiently can find you? I think the most easiest place to go is to Instagram. That's where I like to communicate with my guests and my, my um, community. Uh, I love my community there on Instagram and it's a, it's a great uh, tribe that we have and I'm uh, very engaged and will respond to any message and every message that I get there. Tom, thank you very much for being my guest today. I will wish, wish you all the best and uh, after all, guys, if you're looking for the courage, inspiration, what courage it is, this is the man and this is the interview today. Not being a rough and tough guy, but this is the courage. Admit mistakes, own the problems, not sharing the BS, but being the man and say, I felt on my knees and I recognize the problem and I'll become the man I wanted to be, be happier. Tom, thank you very much for being my guest today. Pleasure. It's great to be here. Thanks everyone for listening in. Thank you.